It's wonderful to be here, to be able to bring the message of Jesus Christ with you, the people of New Beginnings Uniting Church. It's great to worship together, to share in hope, enthusiasm and the future of God's plans for us. So let us just pray together. Our Lord God, we just ask that you transform us that you bring us to be your people here in Cronulla, but much further here in the world that we live. Our Lord, may your Holy Spirit be upon us today. May your Holy Spirit open our minds to your scripture. May we hear it afresh and anew for us. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. How many people have been organising and getting themselves ready for Easter? No. Nobody's prepared for Easter. What's there to prepare? Well, we're in this season of Lent. You know, the, the, the time before Easter where we're actually meant to be preparing ourselves as people of faith for the events, for remembering, and we often call it the Feast of Easter. Um, actually, we often don't call it the Feast of Easter. It is called the Feast of Easter. We often just call it Easter. And, you know, I was actually asked the other day, Josh asked me, um, because some of his work colleagues were asking, why is it that Easter is never on the same you know, week within the year. And it's because it's based on the lunar calendar, when the, the full moon is and how many days after that and all of those. So it's actually not based on our solar calendar that we have, but on the lunar calendar, and, and hence the term immovable feast. Because it moves based on when the moon is. There you go, a little bit of history. I digress. But let's come back to what I was talking about. Preparing for Easter... How many people have had a hot crust bun so far? Okay, so you, you, there are a few guilty people that have got into the hot crust buns. That's all right. So you notice that it's not just straight um, fruit. That you can now get chocolate and mocha and apple and cinnamon and all these different flavours. And it's surprising how early they come out now. Um, we've got all these things of purveying the... We're going to have to go to this one now of preparing the um, chocolate and everything else that goes with Easter now in our modern world. But see, the thing in, in remembering and organising ourselves for all of this is that some churches embrace what's happening around Easter and others fight against what's happening in Easter. As in the modern world kind of version, the chocolate bilbies and Easter eggs but in all of that, we often forget there's a very particular aspect of leading up to Easter. And Jesus' ministry was about this aspect. You actually, it's mentioned 294 times in Scripture. Actually, most of the latter half of the epistles, that's the letters in the New Testament, 
actually deals with the subject. You know, there's actually 14 books in the Bible that are written specifically on this issue. And the issue is justice. Specifically for us, Jesus' justice. Now, when we start talking about justice, we often think, here we go, you're not in church talking again. So, but, you know, on the same thing, a conservative church within the Uniting Church, and we do have conservative churches within the Uniting Church, aren't necessarily sure how to deal with the term justice. But on the other hand, we also have people that are, you know, that are on the other end of the, the spectrum on justice, where they're just taking on the modern world's understanding. And, you know, their church's response could be seen on Channel 7 or ABC or in the Sydney Morning Herald. There's no difference to the world's voice. You know, we need to get back to the gospel, back to salvation, don't we? And that's what we really are wanting to see. In some churches, the entire Bible is actually reduced down to politics and social issues. And they're forgetting the call that Christ places on us. But in other churches, they throw out justice and just try and focus on what the gospel emphasises, just on biblical issues. But see, when we get into biblical issues and we actually have a look at what Jesus was doing, Jesus deals with justice during his life. And some of the most beautiful passages, I'm going to put two of them up, and they're not actually from Jesus' life. They're they're actually Old Testament passages. So we actually go back even further than what Christ was talking about. We go back to Old Testament, what they were meant to do. One is from Amos. Let justice, notice it, let justice roll like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So that's what we're meant to have. Let justice flow from us. Or our, our, one of our favourite, and I know it's a favourite within the Uniting Church, and it, it's a favourite of mine, is from Micah 6 verse 8, and it's, what does the Lord require of you but to do what? To do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's actually an imperative of who we are. Justice is actually synonymous with righteousness. They are interwoven, intertwined, interchangeable. It really comes to the point of simply doing the right thing. And believe it or not, doing the right thing is how God is going to judge us and the leaders of the world. He's going to judge us on our faith and what we have done. Has it been the right thing? The image of justice in the Bible is really of a balanced scales, of integrity and honesty, basically those scales. Oddly enough, when you see a symbol of justice, and we often see the symbol of lady justice and things, she's holding up a set of scales and is blindfolded, and it's that balancing honesty and equity for all and Jesus deals with this. Now sometimes we become frustrated with how Jesus deals with with justice in our lives because because he didn't take on certain things and we actually find this when we lead our and when we draw ourselves closer and closer into Easter. Is often the disciples got annoyed because Jesus wasn't dealing with the issues that they thought he should be. You know, we might get frustrated because Jesus didn't take on the, the Roman caste system, the, the level of, of poverty and wealth 
that was a part of that system of, of governance, of life within that time. He didn't take on the corrupt regime of Herod. But Jesus had a very unique mission. His purpose was actually justice. And he knew in order to create a just system, what he actually needed to do was create a just people for us to change, that we would become people living with justice within inside us. Our hearts needed to change. We needed to have righteousness within us. And when we have righteousness, what happens? Justice flows like a river. And that's what we need. Jesus plants this seed of justice in his ministry. And we see it in examples throughout Jesus' life. But I'm going to share with you this piece of scripture. It comes from Mark, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teacher of the Lord heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Now we often read that, and I don't know whether you get that emotion that really comes within that, and that you know um, depth of feeling and commotion that would be there. We read through it. You know, I, I don't know about. Do you picture in your head what is actually happening? Or do we just let the words flow through and, you know, Jesus drove out the money changers and the people selling animals in the temple courts and we move on and we don't think much of it. It's a violent scene. It's upturning tables. I won't upturn the table today. I'll leave it there. But imagine if I came in and just went, boom, in the middle of the service. What would you think? It lost my mind, hadn't I? I wouldn't be, you know, what is Simon doing today? There is a wealth of depth and meaning there. So what was the issue that Jesus was tackling when he came in and cleared the temple? What was, it? Was, was the problem the money and the animals? Was it the money changers? You know, actually it's interesting because people in churches actually use this text to illustrate the point that you shouldn't be selling raffle tickets um, or selling fundraising things within the church. You know, don't, don't come in and sell fundraising, you know, stuff for good causes, whatever it might be, within the church. You can do it outside, but not within the church. You know, maybe if we were to take that even further, maybe we should t- stop taking up the collection Somebody just went, wow, is that... I'm, not, I'm sure the church... I was just starting to sink in. I'm sure the church council and treasurer would go, no, 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 we need to take up the collection. 
We do have obligations to meet, and I'm not advocating that we don't take up the collection, let me, but we will have a collection today, that would be good. <laughs> then, what is the issue? Was it the animals in the church? So if it's not actually the money, was it the animals in the church? Well, actually, no, it wasn't the animals in the church either. Both, both of these things are necessary within the ministry, the money and, the, and actually the, the animals within that time frame. Imagine that you're required to bring an animal sacrifice to the temple. Sometimes a bull or um, maybe a lamb or a dove. And imagine you've travelled for hundreds and hundreds of kilometres or, or even just down the road. And what happens? The dove flies out of the cage. The bull runs off. The lamb is somehow defective. You have to travel back home, get another one and come back. Actually, most of this was actually done for convenience of those who came to worship. People decided it was easier, instead of bringing animals with them, in order to bring money with them. And so they would bring money and buy the animals they needed for their sacrifice for worship. It was lighter, it was easier to carry, um, and you didn't have to feed it. Sounds very modern, doesn't it? Sounds really modern way of thinking. Just bring the money, buy it when, we, when we're there and ready to go. And the money changes with the same also. It's convenience. Imagine you've travelled from a distant land, you've got a different currency, a different way of looking at things. You bring it and you change the money for what is local. So they decided to put it all in the one location for convenience. It was in the temple courts. See, we think when we read this that this happened every week. It actually only really happened about three times a year for this kind of big thing. We can kind of start to bring it into kind of our world a little bit if we start thinking that maybe it's about how we do certain things within our church that's there for convenience. Certain ways of doing, patterns of behaviour, items that we have, money that we spend on stuff, all for convenience. So if this was convenience for the worshippers, what then was Jesus upset about? Well, there were certain things that were not necessary. The location of this market, the number of vendors, the noise that it all created. Imagine yourself in the midst of this, people buying and selling animals, haggling, and you're trying to pray. You're trying to have a sense of worship together. You're trying to come and make yourself right with the Lord. It sort of contradicts the purpose of the temple. And Jesus mentioned this in his message. My house is, will be called a house of prayer. And see, the, thing, the other thing is, so that's the first one, kind of being you, the, the temple courts being used not for what it was designed for. The second problem was that the market was located right in the court of the Gentiles. It actually made it impossible for the Gentiles to know and to worship God which was actually really against the very heart and soul of Jesus' mission. 
Jesus came to save everyone. Whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. The very purpose of Abraham was that all nations should be blessed. And this is the contradiction of what we're seeing happening in the temple. Let me give you a little bit of history in here. Caiaphas uh, wanted the market located in the temple. And he wanted to actually undercut the Mount of Olive market. So it's just across the valley and on the other side where they had, had this similar market. You actually couldn't stand to see those people who were Roman and Greek on that other side on the Mount of Olives. That um, he couldn't see that market flourishing and he couldn't stand the Romans and the Greeks actually coming to worship in the temple to try and get that vital connection. He thought it was about the Jewish people. So he set everything up in the court of Gentiles so they couldn't come in because they were restricted from going any further. So it was only the devout Jews that could come and worship truly. So it was actually, and I think this is the issue that Jesus was most upset about and trying to remove, was the restriction to the access to the forgiveness of sins through that time, through the means that they knew, through that existing worship. It was okay for some, but it was restricted to others. And so he threw it out and said, this is a place of prayer. This is a place of worship. See, today we use a word and a term called inclusiveness. I have to be careful here because some people use that term inclusiveness to justify including not only the sinner but the sins themselves. That's not what we're talking. That's not the biblical word for it. Inclusiveness means simply extending salvation to all who desire it. Notice the difference. Extending salvation to all who desire it is actually true inclusiveness. Now I'm going to be I'm actually going to jump into a uniting church document. It's called the Constitution. What an exciting document it is. How many people have read constitutions before? Okay, a couple of people. How many people have read the United Church's Constitution? Oh, well, we've got a little bit. We've got, we've got two people here, all three. I'm going to put up a section on the screen. It's an interesting section. It's, I think it's section four, and it's entitled The Purpose. The Purpose of the Church. The purpose of the church, and this is talking about the United Church here, the, pur- the purpose of the church are to provide for the worship of God. Notice this, first and foremost, the worship of God, to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to promote Christian fellowship, to nurture believers in the Christian faith, to engage in mission, to assist in human development and towards the improvement of human relationships, to meet human need through charitable and other services and to do such things as may be required in obedience to the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful word, set of words for the purpose of the church. Worship. We can actually... How many people remember the four words we use to describe our mission? Bigger, deeper, higher, wider. When we look at that purpose, they're encompassed with those words. Bigger, deeper, higher, wider. Bigger, to extend the kingdom of God. 
to come into a deeper relationship, to worship our Lord, to extend the hand of, of help to those in need. Think about it for a moment. This is who we are. This is what we're meant to be doing. Sometimes churches argue about whether they should put up something that will allow people to enter in. We actually haven't had that too much of an issue here. We've put in ramps to allow us to come into the church here. We actually have hearing aid loops. We have screens that are huge that have letters that are big so you can see what is there. It's all so that you can access what is happening. So you can access and be a part of worship. But some people will rally against doing that because it might change the aesthetics of the building or it's too much money or we really don't have anybody with a disability. Some people might say, well, why run a children's program when we don't have many kids or no kids at all? Which comes first? Having people and then providing a service for them or having something where people can come so already going ahead and doing the things that are required ahead of time there might be a reason why children don't come because if you don't provide something for them There's another surprise in our passage of scripture that we've had today. And this is what I was saying. You know, when we read through this piece of scripture, we actually don't get the level of passion, the level of anger that comes out. And it's not, and I want to actually point out you know Jesus was we talk about righteous anger overturning the tables getting the whip out and driving them driving the money changers and the animals out that's not the anger that I want us to understand the level of anger that the religious leaders had when Jesus started to transform their worship notice this what did they want to do let me put it up on the screen the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord heard this and began to look look at ways to kill him. How many people get to that level of anger that you want to kill somebody? All because why? He was challenging them and changing their natural worship that was there. Mark notes that this instance is actually the the straw that broke the camel's back. They sought to kill Jesus. Not because he drew more people into the church, which he was, not because he was reaching people that weren't there, because he was. So how come they are wanting to kill him? Can you imagine this? Thinking from the Pharisees and the teacher's perspective, well, you've got to think of it. At least the offering plate is full when you've got more people. This wasn't Jesus' motive at all. So he had a zeal for the house of God. He had a zeal for worship. He had a zeal for 
for really people coming to know Jesus Christ, him and God himself. That burning passion was to reach people. And you know what? I give thanks for our church, for New Beginnings Uniting Church. Because under the surface of all that we do, there is a passion and a zeal for reaching people for Jesus Christ. You're willing to upturn the tables to drive out the things that are holding us back, to make changes so that people can hear the message of Jesus Christ. You know, we have been willing to make these changes and and, and doing change is never easy. It's always hard because we are so comfortable in what we do in ways we are that when we make a change, it, it sparks us to think. And this is what happened. For the chief's priest, there was a change. This young man got up and drove them out and said, this is a house of prayer and changed it and stood up to the authorities, stood up to those men in power. The second thing was that there was corruption in that Jerusalem church. People were willing to look the other way. You know, vendors would price gouge and charge people exorbitant prices for animal sacrifices. Or they would, when they were changing the money, they would do it a 10 to 1 ratio rather than 1 to 1 ratio. You know, they, they were making money but not legally. And see, what would happen is if you brought an animal from the outside, they would say that it was, uncle- it was unsuitable for um, sacrifice and you had to buy this one. So that you could, you'd sell them the animal that you had and then you'd have to put in some more money to buy this animal. And then they, what would do is the next person would come along and they'd sell the animal that was defective that you had. It was corrupt, dishonest. So Jesus, in all of this, says that we need to change. We need to be right in what we do. There shouldn't be corruption, there shouldn't be cheating, there shouldn't be lying, there shouldn't be stealing within the temple. And this was happening right under the noses of the religious leaders. It's hard to believe that those people just let it happen. See, in all of this, Jesus couldn't even sneeze without them being there and knowing that he did this but yet they could let other people price gouge and do all those things. You see, they didn't want to accept the chief priest. They wouldn't accept Caiaphas, who was a popular priest, and all of this was his idea. You know, I want to say this, you know, all too often we are drawn into this same behaviour Perhaps we may be denying the elephant in the room, looking the other way when there's actually something that is wrong that we need to address and change. As individuals, when we look at our life, is there something that Jesus would overturn? 
and change in your life? Is there a sin or corruption in your life that is going against God's worship, God's plan for your life? See, we need to look at ourselves, not look around the room and judge others. We need to look at ourselves, look deep into ourselves and see what we're making excuses for, what elephant is in our life that needs to be confessed to our Lord. Maybe we haven't placed a high enough emphasis on fellowship and worship with God. Maybe we haven't placed a high enough emphasis on spreading the good news of Christ. Maybe we haven't placed a high enough emphasis on integrity in our own life. See, what problems exist in our society exist because we let them happen, because we actually pervade them. See, the surprise in this passage is how angry people became when Jesus exposed the sin in their room. And, you know, I've seen this happen on a small scale. You know, when you actually confront somebody that's done something wrong, and you actually say, well, actually, you're not allowed to do that, you know what response I often get? I often get anger from them. Because people don't want to know that they have done the wrong thing. They probably already do know that they've done the wrong thing, but they're trying to get away with it. See, the thing is, injustice can be very obvious, but we need to be able to expose it and open it up and be confident and willing enough to stand up against it. And Jesus did this. He spent all the time after he'd overturned the tables of teaching and praying and showing people the way to God. See, there wasn't enough room in the temple to accommodate all the crowds that came to hear God's word through Jesus to have the money changers and the animals in there. Jesus taught in the outer area so everybody could hear. Are we willing to make the changes for ourselves and within our church so everybody can hear? So we're heading towards Easter. I said we're heading towards Easter. We're getting closer and closer. We're getting closer in Jesus' journey towards the time of his death and resurrection. We hear the stories of the upper room experiences, of Jesus' interaction with the crowd, because we're heading towards the cross. Jesus was willing to head to the cross to save all humanity. See, the thing is, as a result of Jesus standing for what was right, people discovered that God's word in their life and their lives were changed. Are we willing to take a stand for what is right in our lives, what is right in society? Are we willing to take a stand for what God wants us to stand up for? Are we willing to make a change and let our lives be changed? So let's just pray. 
Lord God, we just give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for this time to be able to share into your word, to delve deep into the scriptures. Lord, help us to be open to your leading. Help us to do in remembrance of you acts that have been part of history, but let us bring it afresh and anew to your, our lives so that it may become apparent that, Lord, you love us. You've done amazing things for us and our lives will forever be changed because of your love for us today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.